Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Kevin, there are podcasts where we will outline stuff. There are podcasts where we will like have a 15 to 60 second conversation before we click record. I just clicked record, Kevin, because we are recording this after game two of the Western Conference Finals. A uh, To your point on game one, after game one, this was not a fun game to watch. I did not enjoy watching this game at all. Uh, again, like my point last podcast, a lot of Suns fans will disagree because it ended in a Suns win. Uh, the final score was 104-103, Kevin, is that right? It was indeed, as Kevin, as Kellen pulls up the box score. DeAndre Ayton, I asked you if this was being just too much in the moment, but not Kevin. We're in the Western Conference Finals. That's one of the biggest plays in franchise history that he just made. I'm just thinking, I mean, both of our minds went back to 2017, I believe, when Tyson Chandler made that shot. And then it was exciting because it was a really cool play. It was a cool storyline. It was cool, like, from a rules angle. We learned something, and that was just like a highlight amid misery of years of misery and here we saw basically the same thing in almost the biggest stage in the sport yeah I think that man so the full story there is really interesting I I linked I tweeted it I linked it in my piece that's going to be up on ArizonaSports.com by the time you guys are listening to this um, do we need to say what happened, or do we just well, assume? <laughs> yeah, well, then the, the story is, is just worth mentioning this one bit, which is that Jay Triano, then head coach, was at a coaching a, a coach and referee seminar 15 years prior to 2017 when he was an assistant in Toronto. He approached the referees about this type of play, and they were so unsure they had to get back to him. So they, like, met at, like, where officials meet and discuss things, I guess. And they came back to him and said, yeah, I, I guess. Like, this, yeah, that works. And it won them that game. But it won the Suns this game, which is a far more important one than a win over the Memphis Grizzlies in late December of 2017. The, the Memphis Grizzlies, that was their 13th win of 21 that year. Kevin, they won their 13th game in late December. And then, ooh, you remember the, how that year ended. Not great. Let's not talk about that. No. Let's talk about tonight. My biggest takeaway from this game, and I tweeted somewhere in the third quarter, and I definitely felt this way after I found the stat that confirmed how the game was going, which I'll mention in a second, is that I thought we were venturing into must-win territory for the Clippers. Now, when you are, I believe they are the underdog in this series. They were the underdog in Vegas. They are certainly the underdog. They were certainly the underdog even more after game one, in my opinion, and certainly after game two with the way it's unfolded as well. Now, the crazy stat, Kevin, is that the Suns' biggest lead was nine points, and at the five-minute mark, roughly the five-minute mark, DeAndre Ayton got a two-point shot to fall that put the Suns up uh, eight or nine, I believe. Reggie Jackson hit a three 18 seconds later. That was, that was occurrence number one. Six more times the rest of the game, 
the Suns would score to make it a, a lead between six to nine points. Nice. <laughs> Immediately after that, the Clippers would hit a three-pointer. It happened seven total times Whoa. in, uh, I believe, 13 or 14 minutes. Because it felt like they just kept hitting threes to answer. And it's like you don't un- – and then I went through the play-by-play. It happened seven times, Kevin. Yeah. So the Suns should have had at some point a 12-, 14-point lead. They never got it. And to that point even more, Kevin, they should have had that lead – and they weren't even playing that well. And I think that's the thing the Clippers are going to regret the most about this game. Not the way that they played against the Suns necessarily because they forced the Suns into like this rock-throwing contest. Monty called uh, game one a wrestling match in the first half. I'll, I'll call this game that in, in game two. Um, the way they forced the Suns to play, but they did not play better themselves. And, and I think they are going to very much regret it because they are not going to have an opportunity better than the one they got tonight in terms of the way the Suns played. And we'll talk about this in a bit, but it could be their last game without Chris Paul in the series as well. I think the Suns fans will will want to talk about the officiating. I don't want to go too deep on that. The Suns were reacting poorly a lot of the time to calls. Whether they were right or wrong, that happens. Scott Foster happens. You live with it. you got to go on. Um yeah, when, when you see that game unfold seven minutes in, and I had a lot of tweets like, guess who, guess who, guess who yeah. on the call. At that point, I stopped talking about it, and I think like it just became, okay, yep. Scott's making himself the story right now, which is what he usually does in games. It is what it is. We can sit here and talk about how he always does that. I don't want to. It's just what happens, and the Suns had to realize, to your point, okay, this is one of those games where he's just going to be there right away. And yeah. me and you were watching the game, Kevin. He's, he's blowing the whistle every time. It's not like it's his crew. That's It's just him. Yeah. So it, to that point, and just to accentuate that and briefly hit on it because people want to hear us talk about it, you, you got to pivot like you said. Sorry, I wanted, I no, wanted to yeah. cut in there with our perspective because we're sitting here like people watching the game from home are seeing like number 48 blowing the whistle and, and letting Vince and the guys know at the scorer's table what's going on. But it, it, it changes how the game feels. Yeah. Um, the Clippers did do a lot of change. They put Pat Bev on Booker, moved them into the starting lineup with Zubox, and that affected Devin. I mean, he had, what, 20 points, 5 assists, 6 turnovers, went 5 of 16. So, so he yeah. was down with 7 turnovers. For some reason, the turnover with 8 seconds left where they reviewed it and deemed it was off him, they called that a Mikel Bridges turnover in the stat book. He should, yes. have, eight. He should have 8. It's eight. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So it should be eight, um, yeah. and that was that was confusing in the stat book when we looked at it. So he didn't have a good game. Yeah. That that really did, I think, open up a lot for campaign. The rim defense wasn't there. Book couldn't even turn a corner to even get downhill, which was give credit to the Clippers. That's why we feel like they probably should have had that one. Um, Da did get what twelve first quarter points. And it, it was a different type of first quarter points where, that compared to the last game, but I think the stretch for him that was huge to advances down in in the third quarter. I think he had eight straight points, and there was like a shift there where he had a block, ran back, got layups, um, caught an alley oop from Book, and that all preceded Book getting 
noggin to noggin with Pat Bev and having to leave. And I think that was huge, just maybe for momentum's sake for the Suns. Like, I'm not a huge momentum guy, but I, I think they started rolling and they got a few stops finally where it felt like maybe this is changing and that I think somewhere in there was the nine-point lead that they could never get bump up into double figures. But you look at how they stemmed the tide without Book, gave him time going into the final break, quarter break. He comes back, and they just trade blows in the fourth. And so I, I just think from a whole how the game felt standpoint, that definitely was something where you where the Clippers should have won it. But, I mean, again, the the poise, which the Suns talk about, just goes a long way when Book hits that 15-foot jumper that put them ahead before Paul George hits the go-ahead that looks like it's going to be the final go-ahead. He missed free throws. I mean, that's, again, uh, that's like storyline five or six or something maybe, but well, the craziest he had a bad fourth quarter last game when it looked like they had a shot. He misses two free throws, and he, like, brushed it off. But He scored six straight before that. Yes. It was the craziest thing. I went through the play-by-play, like, because this type of game where you had to pull the play-by-play and just when you're writing about it, and... He had um, he had the the drawn foul on Booker after the fourth, which was Book said like he's never seen that before. And apparently, um, our Australian correspondent David Nash tweeted me and said that when Foster was talking into the mic, which they play on TV, yeah, he said that when you review a hostile act, you are able to like make a call there. Which again, I've never seen. That makes no sense. I might have seen that before. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't understand how that makes sense. I don't either. Like, it, but that's their problem. Yeah, that's got to be. I hope that's a rule change for next year. But I mean, like, yeah. The other part of that was, I don't think it was a foul at all. So, <laughs> the fact that the review deemed it an offensive foul was the worst part of it for sure, because there were just wasn't anything there. Could they have said no foul? Like these are the things. Like right. Speaking of rules, Dead we ball. don't know. Yeah, like I don't. And what Mikel did hit the shot. I think it was Mikel. Yeah. After the whistle was blown. But anyway, there's just, there's just funny business in the way the game was called. Not in that type of funny business people think. But like when they called a jump ball, knowing they were going to be able to review it. You know. Yeah. It's just like, come on. My guys. my favorite part after, um, the replay found it went off Booker's hand, which I think was technically correct. I think people had more of an issue of, like, you don't review every, like, tap out like that. Yeah, Beverly was, like, reviewing. They were like, okay, Pat, sounds good. So I'm fine with that more than the literal 10 minutes we took after the Aiton game winner. Yeah. But what was funny post-game was books called it, there was some hoorah going around, and I looked this up in the official transcript, I think it was hoorah, Yeah. where Bev was, like, flexing around the arena and yelling at the crowd. I don't know if they caught that on TV. About getting the call overturned. Wow. I don't know if you noticed that, but he, and book, book, that's why book was like, he was up in the crowd saying first team all defense or something. (laughs) I, and the game wasn't over yet, obviously. No. So that's that was a really funny part of the post game that I don't know if that came across on TV or whatever. Thirty three minutes to finish the last ninety seconds of this game. Um, I described it as an agonizing pace of play to watch unfold uh, I, for this game. I timed 
from DA's dunk and me tweeting a video, so that took maybe 30 seconds, yeah. to the, the ball getting inbounded was somewhere between 8 and 10 minutes, I think. Yeah. So that's how long they were reviewing a, a dunk that you and I know from experience was a dunk. And I guess, I guess part of it is they wanted to make sure time on the clock and that kind of thing. Yeah. But that's, they, there was screwiness with the who's subbing in and out. Like, it was just a mess. They didn't know where to inbound it. Yeah. They just didn't know what they were doing. Sorry, no, back on the refs. No, they didn't. They, there were, like, a bunch of substitutions happening, and then Foster had to go to the scorer's table and be like, okay, like, which subs are legal and all this kind of stuff. And then I think Batum got put back on the court, and then Foster literally had, like, a piece of paper he showed Lou, and it was like, look, this is what it is. Or there's some rule there. Again, speaking of rules we don't know, um, in terms of substitution patterns and all that kind of stuff, it was crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I just remember when – Booker, because when when that type of play happens where B- Beverly takes the charge, you are looking right at the referee who look, looks at the whistle and see if he makes the blocking motion or the charge motion. And everyone just kept waiting for him. And I saw several people on the Suns bench raise their hands like, what's the call? And then they said hostile act, and, and that's that's a rule to know. But to go back to Payne and Ain, we should talk about them yeah. more for sure. Um. It, I, I guess optimism for the Clippers would be Devin Booker as the best game of his life in Game 1, campaign as the best game of his life in Game 2. Um, the numbers that I found with Payne and Ayton were that if you look at the first four quarters, over the four quarters, there might be an, 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 a point or two off here. I don't have it in front of me, but it was 19 points combined in the first quarter for those two, 9 in the second, and DeAndre didn't have any, 16 in the third, and 10 in the fourth. So they were consistently giving the Suns offense when they just didn't really have another source anywhere else. Um, Mikel Bridges had two points in this game, I believe it was. It was either he had five. Him and Jay Crowder combined for seven. One of them had five, yeah. one of them had two. Another reason the Clippers probably should have won. They're just uh, The Suns shot six of 26 from three in this game. Um, I, I ran them all down in my piece, but, man, like they, they're going to want this one back. But DeAndre did a really good job of finding these little pockets of space from like 8 to 12 feet in the first bit of the game. And then he was starting to get his looks around the rim. Uh, much more pain, zero turnovers, nine assists, two steals, two blocks. He was awesome. This was the second official campaign game we've had. That second Lakers game where he surged that back. They didn't, they didn't win that game, right? That was, it, was, it was 1-1 when we went back to L.A.? Uh, Am I thinking what? right? Dude, yeah, I can't, I can't I remember. Know. I don't know. People, yeah. people will let us know, but that crazy run in the third quarter that he led when he went nuts, um, that was crazy. Uh, he was great. DeAndre was great. But that's it. You look up and down. That Dario did stuff, which Dario was great. Dario was good. I'll give he, Dario so Dar- credit for once. Dario was good, but in terms uh, – so let's look at it like that. Like, who played above average? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who was above average? Dario, yeah. Campaign, DeAndre Ayton. Tory Craig kind of was doing stuff around a little bit, I guess. I guess. Cam Johnson. Oh, yeah. Four. Cam Johnson Cam was Johnson, very good. Cam Johnson, attack off the dribble, cuts. Yeah. He um, was 5 of 5 at one point. I don't know if, if that's what he finished. I can take a gander right now. Indeed, 5 of 5 from the field, 3 rebounds, 11 points for him. 
He's had uh, two really solid games. Yeah, where, take out take out Craig. Yeah, where those zero points, points where those yeah. points came were also really important. They just felt like nothing was going for the Suns, and he had timely buckets. For me, um, just more on the last play. I feel like other coaches should know the rule by now. I know it's easy just for me to say that because we saw it, but just from like Paul George and Rondo thinking, oh no, that's a goaltend. They were both like that call that doing the hand signal. Well, now everyone's gonna know how how they played yeah. that. How they let like literally stack a couple guys at the rim because at point nine. I know that's enough to get off a shot, yep. but at least your center should be standing in DeAndre's way. I, yep. I don't know. I I asked uh, I asked Book about that because I referenced I remembered him saying I can't remember if it was after the game or the practice after, but Triana was explaining them the rule and running through the set in practice, and Book was like, "This guy's crazy. He has no idea what he's talking about." And like yeah. Book, a, a, a storing of the game. Like the type of guy like uh, Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo who comes up in the story who would like know every rule and he's like this is normal those guys nuts and then <laughs> it worked and he yeah. knew so he was the guy Rondo who knows everything <laughs> about this league uh, he was at half court with Book saying no no basket not going to count not going to count and then Book was like no I've seen this before it counts yeah uh, which is which is crazy I was sitting like just about in the same seat I was for that it was on the other basket but man like that was. The deja vu there in, in terms of uh, that play. Uh, I can't remember what I was talking about exactly like before that um, with the play. Um, oh, yeah, just just like post-game what, what, what Book was saying. Um, that That's kind of what he said. Like, yeah, like I've seen it before. And DeAndre had an amazing reaction, which was um, <laughs> shout out to Sam Amick from The Athletic who um, kind of play you want to ask like, all the questions about I asked DeAndre um, like you've caught a lot of lobs in your career you got a feel for like when did you talk talk us through your headspace when did you feel like you were good and he said when book got set the screen he was able to get around Zubac in a way where you know on those types of plays like you're taking forearms everywhere yeah and, and he said he just got a clean he didn't say this but it pretty much felt like he was telling us like as in a wide receiver he got a clean release and then he said when I get my two feet planted in the paint like done, yeah. Like, I believe the way he put it is like, there's not many people who are going to go up there and get it higher than I will. Um, and and he got it there. And then Amic uh, followed up lately and was like, what, just in terms of the rule and everything, like what? He's like, no, I, I had no idea. I didn't know. I didn't know the rule. And then he said himself, he he was really anxious and shaky when he was going to celebrate after because one of the first things DeAndre thought was did I just commit like an all-time blooper in league history by like committing a turnover there? And Monty actually had to tell him again, like, no, like the rule is yeah. if it's over the cylinder, like you can touch it because it's, it's not a legal shot. It's funny because, because uh, that's, yeah. we should explain. And I did in the piece, the full rule, you cannot pass the ball into the basket to score like that. Right. That, that, that does not work. Therefore it is not a legal shot attempt. Dragon Bender, yeah. Shout out Dragon Bender, who made the second sentence he of my story for this. Um, how about it? When he made that pass, when Jay Crowder made that pass, those are not shot attempts. So therefore, the rules about basket interference and all that kind of stuff do not apply. 
So I think you just, we had this discussion up here where yeah. I sat, and I think the only rule is you can't just pop your hand up yeah. through yeah, because you can never do that. The um, way I described it is there are normally acts that would be deemed as basket interference that you can commit now, basically. Yeah. And so, that's, that's what they did. Man, I just... I think the most interesting part of that, if you rewatch it a thousand times, is books shoving Zubach a certain way, but before that, DA is shoving him into book. Yeah. And it was funny because I, I think lots of Clippers fans probably, and even some of my son's friends were like, that was kind of a foul. But like book and campaign post game were just like, you can get away. They literally said you can get away with a lot more in those situations, which I thought was funny that they're admitting yeah. that. Um, but it, it's true. Because Book got a foul for something like that earlier in yeah, his first I mean, foul lots, of the game, I believe. Yeah, yeah and like his third foul where he and Paul George just both fell to the floor. Like that's the same kind of stuff where you have arms, you're arm fighting, like offensive yeah. linemen, defensive linemen. They're, they're not going to call it in, down the stretch like that. So that was – that's when, uh, vet call, like vet moves there, I guess. When Mikel was on uh, Duncan Robinson's podcast, he was talking about how like pretty much every rebound is a war. Like you can just do anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, when, when when the ball is in the air and, and like things like that, like the amount of shoving and all that kind of stuff. Remember, there was like a play where Blake Griffin was just was it PJ Tucker when he kept, kept like hugging him over and over again, and then. Tuck slapped him away, and then that got him. That was like a terrible call too. But um, we should just keep talking about terrible calls. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know where to where to really forecast this series for the Clippers. I mean, you bring up that series is a good point because we said on this podcast like two or three episodes ago, we made the oh boy like the the Nets are going to have a long wait ahead of them, and the Bucks just. Went home, handled business, and the Clippers could very well do that. I think the thing with the, the, the stat that I mentioned about the answer threes and something I talked about after game one, this is a very confident team, Yeah, and they are just tough and absolutely ready for the moments that are thrown at them. Even guys like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard, who haven't been in these settings before, it seems like it's all rubbed off on them in kind of the same way you can talk about that we have with the Suns. So I... I'm not going to sit here and say series over, but you, man, I just don't think there's a world where the Clippers win this series where they didn't win the game tonight. Like, that was a must win for them, I think. We were talking before the podcast of where this stands as far as biggest, what, plays in Suns history, um, just DA's dunk. And I think right now it's going to be huge because I think that is a like I, I think they had to have that one, like you just said, because this does not feel at all like the Clippers are going to go away, and that's even discounting that they've come back from O2 deficits yeah. twice already in these playoffs. I know that's a really good point. They're short, but they they are playing really well, and I know it was ugly. I know that we said it's not enjoyable to watch today compared to the last game, but it felt like conference finals basketball, and to me. I think you got to hope that Chris Paul coming back, like Woj or I don't know who ESPN said he's probably going to play or get cleared, which I don't trust anything I hear about Chris Paul. But if he does get cleared for game three, that's another, like, 
okay, maybe the Suns, that's going to be enough if they get in a tough series and the Clippers figure some more stuff out. That's very different when you have an all-NBA second teamer coming back. That's going to change how you're adjusting. And again, like, Ty Lue's done a good job. He did not... He, I, I think they blew that last play, but that's one play. Um, they should have won on Paul George's free throws, too. Yeah, after he made a lot of plays. Um, to your point, and, and just, like, how the series is going, like, two things is... Again, it was like mostly, I think the stats were tonight, they weren't as big, but still, like Reggie Jackson, 19, and Paul George, 26, were like the two biggest offensive suppliers on their team by far. But then you look at them, and it's like they're still within five points, within three points, even though they only have two guys who get offense and aren't doing it in these crazy ways where they score 35, 40 points and combine for 70 or 60 or anything like that. That's not anything they're doing. And to that point... Um, I think a lot of what happened with the Nuggets was them wearing down. But I do think, regardless of and taking that out of the equation, the team that the Suns played in the second round of the Western Conference, um, the semifinals, was not a team that was – worthy is definitely the wrong word because they worked really hard to get there. But that was not the average Western Conference semifinalist that we saw. Yeah. The Clippers look like the average Western Conference finalist to me with the way that they've been playing as a team. Now, I know in terms of talent, without Kawhi, like the, without Ibaka, they're obviously missing pieces. But to that point, in terms of how they answer, how they play together, how they look like this style, I wrote this, this style of game that we saw tonight, the Suns are fine with that. They'll play that, but that's exactly what the Clippers wanted in this yeah. game was that type of just agonizingly slow game that is physical but has a lot of fouls being called, that has Beverly getting into Booker and giving him issues. That's exactly what they wanted, and that's what really, really good teams do. Like They are, they are not that type of team at all, so I'm not going to sit here and say like the Suns are in cruise control like I would have and probably did, honestly, after the second game of the Nuggets series because um, they, they, they hung around and they did really, they've done really well in this series, I think. Credit the Suns' defense, I think. Um, I think they did a better job on Paul George than obviously game one, um, and that kind of canceled out he and Book. You know, traded blows late, but um, uh, again, against a weekend team, role players, I, I think Dario probably, again, was underrated. Cam Johnson's points were huge, bigger than whatever 11 points he had, and then, yeah, campaign outplayed Reggie Jackson in the great. Thunder, former backup point guard matchup there. I mean, dude was getting to the rim at will. Um, Zubox isn't going to really block his shots when he's hitting off-the-glass floaters like that, um, using his speed. And he's didn't have a turnover. He's pricing himself out of the Suns' range moving forward in future seasons. I mean... Uh, that's way too early to talk about that, but it's. I mean, you sh- you should be happy for him because that that's a crazy story, and he's not just playing well or playing over his head. It, it felt like it was a just a casual twenty nine, to be honest. And nine, like I I didn't I know he had big shots and big moments and kept them afloat, but it didn't feel like he was imposing his will on the game. Yeah, it he didn't feel that. like it was. Did in game one, did not in this one. 
Yeah. So the Chris Paul report uh, from Dave McMenamin and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN is that he is asymptomatic. Is, is that correct? I didn't even read it, but it said um, they're expecting game three, which he, he needs is, to get some negative tests. They are expecting game three. He needs to get certain things done. By then, has to be feeling a certain way. We'll see. But I think to branch off that to close out the podcast yeah. episode for today, to bring him up, I think a lot of Suns fans looked at this without Chris Paul and said, like, we'll be happy with a split at home. And then optimistically looking at Chris coming back game three, maybe more like even like game four, and then pessimistically, like game five, six, or seven, hopefully he would be back by uh, in, in that kind of view. Um, but now you're up 2 0. So, like, if he needs to take, if it is until game five, you're okay. You're fine. Like, it, and again, like, second team All NBA point guard, they're going to miss him a lot. It doesn't sound that great for Kawhi Leonard in terms of we're not hearing updates of progression there or anything like that. We're also not hearing any bad news, but we're just not hearing any news. And I feel like we'd be hearing something if it Are was. Are we still good waiting news. for the swelling to go down to see what the hell is going on? I don't know. I mean, Shams's report was that they were fearing an ACL injury, and we never even got confirmation after that if it was an ACL injury. Just I don't that think they feared it down. was. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We don't even know. Are you ready for masked Booker? We've had headband Booker. His nose didn't look great. There was Bandana Booker, of course. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows Bandana Booker. Don't want to Headband bring up Bandana Booker. Booker. Yeah. Lots uh, of different point. You got point book. What did like he? What did someone, it was Rachel Nichols, someone asked him, how are you, did you see yourself or something? And he said, I'm still confident. Like, he was talking about how he looks, and he said, I'm still confident. I told him he looks good. Yeah. It was a joke because he did not look good. <laughs> I think he understood I was kidding. Um, should I, we go home? Yeah. It's, it's okay. 12.48. I should get home by 1.30 if we leave now. I should try and probably do that. I got to go to L.A. tomorrow, buddy. Isn't that exciting? I forgot about that. Yeah. How early is that? Good luck. Uh, oh, like afternoon flight. Beautiful okay. stuff. That's good. Just doing great. I'm going to be playing... Hades or Mario Kart on my Switch and just living life. Shout out to people who know uh, either of those games. A lot of people know Mario Kart, not a lot of people know Hades. Don't know. Um, Couldn't tell you. I'm on the N64 Mario Kart game, though. Still got it. You have to close this podcast now. Are we ever going to cover a playoff game like this again? Let's just go home. We're done, yeah. I don't... Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so, and I just kind of wanted to add on that sentiment that I hope everyone enjoyed listening because, like, thinking about, like, game-to-game podcasts, like, this is the one that's going to stay. I still remember my house in chaos as I was doing Locked On Suns, came home from the Arizona sports offices after Devin Booker scored 70 points. At halftime of that game, I was having people tweet me to come up with three random subjects I was going to talk about because I was so sick of talking about Suns blowout losses, I didn't want to talk about anything. Then I sat on the floor of a closet, because I couldn't find anywhere else to record that didn't have sound, and just talked about Devin Booker scoring 70 points for 20 minutes. That is a podcast episode I will never forget. I think this one is in the same thing, because, I again, like I'm saying, but so I hope everyone 
enjoyed the episode, enjoyed the game, enjoyed our coverage of it because again, like we're not we're not going to see one like that a while. This goes like Gar Herd, Chuck uh, to beat the Spurs, the pull up. Um, Rex a, Chapman. I mean, that wasn't that, that was, deep in the playoffs. That was round one or round two, round one, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. And then DeAndre Ayton's. Jay Crowder, by the Did we say Jay Crowder the pass? I barely put it in the, Dude, in the thing, but they, that I, pass so is amazing. I'm not kidding you. I was like, they're probably going to do the Tyson Chandler thing, but they'll probably defend it. But also, when I saw them where they were taking it out, I was like, oh, no. No, there's no angle. You have to avoid hitting the backboard. It was almost, It looked like millimeters away from hitting the side of the backboard on the replay from behind. It's a wild crazy play we were here for it buddy we got to see it uh we'll be back to talk about what i don't do many guarantees on here kevin i guarantee the next game we talk about is not going to be as insane as this one just lame because you talk about the paul george being like five six seven yeah it's probably going to be whack right like just kind of dumb yeah we don't mean like good or bad way just kind of it's whatever in everything's whatever after this okay we'll end it there but again we really appreciate it thanks everyone we'll be back uh with kellen reporting live from a hotel room in la and uh, kevin from his home in the dark (laughs) bye everyone